Keys to the Commonwealth, a podcast where we share the real stories of local community members who are using real estate to build personal wealth, along with tips and tricks from professionals across the industry. And now, your host, Landry Fields. Welcome back, everyone, to the Keys to the Commonwealth podcast. As an insurance advisor, I work with real estate investors and professionals every day, and I'm very excited for today's guest. He is the Director of Acquisitions and Operations for Urban Renewal Partners. Although he's only been in the real estate business for two years, his greatest accomplishment so far was recently acquiring a 37-unit mixed-use deal right here in Lexington, Kentucky. Born and raised all the way over in Huntington Beach, California, he received his degree from San Diego State University and now resides here in Lexington, Kentucky. I am stoked to welcome Dylan Palmer today to the Keys of the Commonwealth Studio. Dylan, my man, thanks for coming on the show. Landry, thank you for having me. I love this. This is my first uh, my first live podcast. First here live podcast? You've done like a video one before or something like that? Uh-huh. I just can't do the video one. I'm like, <laughs> I need somebody, I need people there. I'm done with as much Zoom as I can for right now. It, it, it definitely, just from you know being here for a very short time, it's definitely, I think it's a, be, a better uh, yeah. vibe, right? So yeah, like we start every episode, I mean, jump back in the DeLorean and kind of tell me how'd you, end, I know it's a cool story, I've kind of heard it tell us, how'd you get into the industry as far as real estate investing and, and so forth, or even to Lexington for that matter? Yeah, so we can go through all of that. Um, you know, my story really starts when I was, you know, uh, you know born and raised in Huntington. Uh, mm-hmm. My parents over the last 20 years, uh, have acquired about six single family homes. Okay. They're in Cali. They're all they're So one's in California in La Quinta, California. So it's in the desert okay. and then five are over in uh, Marco Island, Florida. Okay. So that's where they met originally. And it's kind of one of those, uh, very Southwest tip of Florida, uh, where my dad, he read rich dad, poor dad, you know, 20, yep. 20 years ago. And <laughs> the original Bible right there. Right. Exactly. And, and he started investing, uh, and it was all single family homes. Um, you know, kind of, yeah, I would say he's more conservative in nature um, to where, you know, he didn't want to, you know, risk a bunch of capital and, and it, was, yeah. it was at the right time. So you kind of grew up around it a little bit in some respects. Yeah, very seldom. Like, so I, I you know, when you hear that, you'd think that I would grow up, okay, you know, this is real estate investing. This yeah. is kind of what we do, but it was never really forced upon me. It was never, I was never really a part of it. I always knew my parents invested in real estate, but they, they always wanted me to, you know, pursue my own passion, sure. right? And, and to do my own thing, never really pushing real estate uh, for me to be involved in any way. Now, since I always knew it was there, I always had some kind of interest in it. And it wasn't until, you know, let's say 14 or 15 when my dad gave me Rich Dad Poor Dad. Okay. And I read it and I'm like, okay, this makes sense, yeah. right? And I, growing up, I always had a very analytical, mathematical background. I always enjoyed math, numbers. For some reason, it just makes sense to me. And for those who don't know Rich Dad, Rich Dad Poor Dad, I mean, it's kind of the first book you got to read when looking into real estate investing. It's, if you remind me if I'm correct, it's a fictional book based upon non, a real-life story kind of a scenario. Yeah, right? so I mean, it's kind of, yeah. Robert, Robert Kiyosaki is the author. That's the name. Uh, yeah. And it basically... Um, if you haven't read it, it, it I don't I don't want to spoil everything. <laughs> or you could play the board game, which right. I've played the board game. And honestly, if you just play the board game, that's a master's class in business right there just playing the, the that board game. So just play that board game and you will learn a master's class in kind of business type of scenario like right there. It's so true. And like it just if it, it, it a little peek behind the curtain of my life, right? Okay. If I, uh, my dad always talked about that game, but we never played it, right? Okay. And the reason why we never played it is we never got it. And you know why we didn't get it? Because it, it was like eighty dollars. It's a very, yeah. it's a very expensive game, you know. So it's definitely an investment. But we, I got it for him for Christmas last year. 
And then the other problem is finding anybody to play with you because it's like <laughs> not the average person wants to play that game for sure. You know, it's so funny because I, I love it. You know, yeah. it, it's, it is very fun. It's very simple uh, and anyone can play it. My little yeah. brother, he's 17 and yeah. just to watch him play the game and begin to understand that what's a doodad, right? And like, why would I want to buy a boat? Yeah. You know, it, uh, it's just the whole mindset shift of we can kind of yeah. know, go back to single family homes, you know, over the last 20 years, they've been able to, you know, net between a hundred and two dollars a door, $200 a door. Yeah. But when you're looking at the grand scheme of things, single family homes aren't going to give you that financial freedom that all these gurus tell you about mm-hmm. that you can get through real estate investing. It, you, that, it, has, it takes a large scale to do it for sure. Exactly. And that's where my parents, you know, now that they're 20 years into it, their balance sheet is like, you know, their ba- the balance sheet of a single family home is, is awesome. Yeah. That's what you're in it for is you to grow your balance sheet. Sure. But more of a retirement, like a diversification of your retirement portfolio in some ways, exactly. which is fine. If people want to do that, you know, having, I know a lot of tax people say it, just having one or two rentals in general is a, it's just a good way to hedge through your retirement and so forth. Right. And grow, and grow your balance sheet. And it, and it really is. Um, and it's one strategy. There's so many different strategies in real estate, and it's very easy. I remember when I was, you know, first getting involved and in learning every, you know, learning these um, different strategies. It's very easy to get pulled in multiple directions. Yeah. Every every podcast that I would listen to, it's like, wow, that's what I want to do, right? Yeah. And then you listen to a new one, and you're like, okay, that's what I want to do. Um, but it's kind of finding your unique situation and. And really, you know, applying to what you want in life. So right. single-family homes is great for building a balance sheet. It's great to get your feet wet. It's great to start to understand the process of real estate investing. Uh, but that next step is is going bigger. Sure. Right? And that's where you really see the implications of uh, your income being able to grow and being able to live off that income and being able to achieve that financial freedom that everyone talks about yeah. is through, you know, getting bigger and, and specifically, you know, commercial right. real estate. And we'll talk about kind of the way those are uh, assessed and kind of with the strategies around that are definitely a lot different, but going back to pulled in many different directions, getting into real estate, you know, so how did you get into real estate? Um, you said easy to di- get pulled in different directions. I don't, was it easy getting pulled to Lexington, Kentucky? I guess is the <laughs> question I would have for you there. Yes, it was. Yeah. So, you know, in short, um, I had a decision to make, I went, I studied abroad in Europe my junior year of high school, or junior year of college. And I always told myself my freshman, sophomore and junior year that, okay, once my junior year spring semester is over, once I go to Europe, I'm going to, you know, keep my head down, focus on what's next. Uh, because you know, it becomes crunch time by your senior year. And when I came home from Europe, I said, okay, how can I meet as many people as I can and learn about the industry? Cause I love it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I initially was in physics when I first went to college. Okay. I went to college down in San Diego and it just wasn't my crowd. Uh, I didn't have, uh, you know, I didn't really, you know, gel with the people that were around me. I didn't sure. really enjoy the content as I did when I was in high school. So I jumped ship and I went to finance and right when I got into finance, I knew that this is this, that was for me, you know, being able to take a company and evaluate its income, its expenses, mm-hmm. its, its balance sheet, its income statement, and being able to work backwards to find a good price to buy a public company, and it was all about stocks. But it was about my junior year when I was, you know, I kind of made that bridge to real estate, and I'm like, 
I had this aha moment where it's the exact same thing. Yeah. When you're looking at a, a commercial asset, right? If you're looking at, let's say, a multifamily building, you're looking at the income. You're yeah. looking at the expenses. You're looking at the balance sheet. You're seeing. You're looking into the company because at the end of the day, in its most simplest form, commercial real estate is you're buying a business. Sure. And can you can you create additional streams of income? Can you increase the income? Can you decrease the expenses in order to make a return? Yeah. Um, and at what price point are you able to make a return that is satisfactory right. for yourself? So going into you know you moved to Kentucky. I mean so. Real quick, so you, you're working for you came out here to work for uh, the Urban Renewal, and just briefly touch on what that what what you all are doing with that. Yeah, so I met a gentleman named Robert Lee, and Robert Lee is big in the medical private equity space, okay. uh, and that was after I you know came back from Europe. And what happened is you know he was just starting a multifamily arm, and I was really interested. I'm like, okay, I can learn, you know, I can I can underwrite. I, mm-hmm. you know, that's um, I can be able to value deals and. He brought me on as an acquisitions guy. Okay. You know, saying uh, I didn't have the capital to get into a deal, and when you're when you're going into real estate, it's either you have the capital or you have the time. And I had the time, yep. and I devoted um, all of my time to learning how to underwrite, evaluate deals, talking to brokers, understanding understanding markets. And we started very broad, so we were Kentucky, Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina, Florida, all the major you know yeah. southeastern markets. Sure. And it took me nine months. It took me 140, in my first year, $140 million worth of deals underwritten with nothing to show for it. And it wasn't until nine months later when we found a deal here in Lexington, Kentucky. Okay. And it was April. And we got it under contract. I remember, you know, just distinctly that it was Friday afternoon. My buddies were coming over. Uh, I was very fortunate to where I lived on right on the right on the sand like when i walk out of my front yard okay and we had an investor who had a 1031 exchange and right uh it was that last friday was it was the cutoff date so we had to get offers out so we had two offers out and it was before noon and <laughs> and my buddies were starting to come over and they started you know they were hanging out partying on the beach yeah. and music was on and i had to i had to, i literally had to leave my house uh because i had to get this offer out Right, and it was just this building here in Chevy Chase in Lexington, Kentucky. Okay, and I could have, I could have made, made a very easy decision of like, okay, hey, this is a tomorrow thing, right? Let yeah. me let me have some fun right now. Sure, you know we already have two offers out. This is enough. Uh, you know what? Nothing's going to happen from it. It's been nine months. Nothing's happened, right? right. Like, but for some reason, uh, you know, I had the discipline to to get up and leave and and write the uh, the LOI, and yep. within two hours it was accepted. And won a contract in April. I graduated in May, and come July, uh, I had a decision of whether or not whether or not I wanted to learn the business from three thousand miles away in California, or if I wanted to uh, hop in my car, drive across the country, and uh, <laughs> and learn how the sausage is made on site here now, in Lexington. To be honest, though, I mean, what what did you know about Lexington, Kentucky prior, or had you even heard of Lexington, Kentucky, or just knew it was? Bourbon country or something. I don't even know. I'm, I'm going to sound so Californian. That's fine. It's like, it's like horses. Okay. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, uh, I know the bourbon is from Kentucky. Sure. And I know that, uh, that, uh, the, I, I used to use the word podunk. <laughs> I don't think that, <laughs> we definitely have some areas like that. <laughs> and that's where it's like, uh, but since being here, uh, it's, it's amazing. Like the amount, the, the yeah. people, the culture, um, the quality of life, uh, it has kind of blown me away because it really, Kentucky is, you know, it kind of is a secret. 
you know, especially Lexington. Like yeah. you would think that it would be, you know, yeah, especially Lexington. It's got this unique, and I know, you know, the urban, urban service boundaries and it's like, they've done super well at keeping the feel of like the horse country. I mean, like we've talked about on this podcast before, you can drive, you know, five, 10 minutes and then all of a sudden be out in beautiful countryside areas of horse farms and so forth. So and, it, and it is beautiful. always, it's always interesting to, for me hearing people that are not from Kentucky come in and kind of validate Honestly, like I've said before here as well, that like it took me traveling outside Kentucky to kind of realize what we already had here. When you grow up here, you don't really. Yeah. With, I mean, every day of the first like three months that I was here, I was learning something new. Yeah. Right. And there's, you know, I didn't even know what the real horse business was when I when I first moved here. <laughs> yeah, I didn't find out. So I was a older and I kind of put two and two together. I was like, oh wait a minute, the money's not made from the races. Right. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and that's that's where it's like, okay, well, like. There are so many different yeah. nuances about Kentucky, just like right. that, that you know you wouldn't expect. And he's, he's point, wearing a bourbon hat right now, so he's all in here. Right. I can attest to that. And I, I finally made it out to the Buffalo Trace there Distillery, and I got the full tour. And I'm like, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta rep the brand. There you go. <laughs> so, you know, underwriting deals and so forth. Obviously, there's a lot different underwriting kind of uh, characteristics that go into looking at multifamily or you know multi-use. Of, uh, opportunities or uh, properties compared to just the single family side of things. So kind of talk to me a little bit, you know, what we're looking at in that respect as far as, you know, what does it take going into um, looking at a multifamily unit? It's probably a multifamily unit, but, you know, because it gets probably a little bit more in the weeds with the multi-use stuff. But. Yeah. So, yeah, so we could touch on just multifamily in general first and, and specifically, you know, commercial real estate. When you are, you know, looking to invest in commercial real estate or looking to begin investing in commercial real estate, the the keys right per se are, are really held in the broker's hands um, to begin with in order to to not only learn um, but also the brokers uh, they've lived here most you know almost a hundred percent of them have been usually born and raised in the area uh, they're very local they've they've seen for urban renewal that is just in in general okay yeah so in general so urban renewal partners um, is just a group of it's me and three other guys three other partners okay and one is big in the medical space private equity one is big in uh, he's an industrial broker down in South Carolina and the other one owns his own solar company okay um, so Robert Lee he's the one who you know initially kind of brought me on and he was born ra- born and raised here in Lexington okay right so he went over to school so when you, when you took him that deal was he like pretty excited about that like you know putting two and two and two together there from his home, old hometown yeah it was um yeah it was, it was perfect yeah know? and it was um and it, and it worked out really well yeah um and it's so funny because now i now i'm like living here and he, you know, he moved away 20 years ago for with with lexmark so he okay. hasn't been back but yeah. he comes here you know quite often um but to kind of go back to the multifamily aspect um you know they're going to be getting something called you know you're going to be getting financials yeah. Right. So you're going to be getting a T12 and a rent roll. Usually, when you have a single family home or a duplex, like what's, you'll the, just what's get. a T12? So a T12 is the trailing 12 months profit and loss statement okay. of the asset. Okay. So you have your top line revenue, which is you know your rental income. Then mm-hmm. you have your other income, whether it's you know a lot of these Class A buildings now have uh, you know valet trash, right? Or you have your rubs, which is your utility billback system, um, or you have other income like pet rent. Right yeah. or or or, uh, or pet fees, sure. right? So you have those top line income items, and then you have your expenses, right? right. Which is going to be your taxes. You know, it's going to be your repairs and maintenance. Mm-hmm. It's going to be your insurance. Mm-hmm. It's going to be your utilities. Uh, it's going to be your management. Yep. And 
what happens is you, you, you bring that down to what's called an NOI, a net upbringing income, a yeah. net operating yeah, NOI, income. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And those are, you know, a lot more. The NOI, just from what I know so far, learning all this stuff, the NOI is basically all the expenses excluding any kind of mortgage type of thing, right? Right. Not including yeah. the debt service. Yeah. So it's okay. looking strictly at, um, Strictly at the building, yeah, not the financing. And once you have the NOI, you're able to value the building, yeah. And that's the most subjective or abstract part of the business. And that's where uh, only repetition and understanding the market and communicating with brokers, they're able to to gain that knowledge. Yeah. Now, now what that is is the valuation tool is called a cap rate. Now, cap rates. Yep is, you know, it gets really confusing very fast. So I like to use, I like to use the income multiple. Okay. Right. So what the income multiple is saying is that you have your income, you have your expenses, which leads you to your NOI, Mm -hmm. right? Your NOI times your income multiple is going to equal your valuation of the building, right? So income multiple is usually annual, right? Annual. We're looking at annual income on that. Annualized. That's right. Yeah. So the income multiple in Every market is different. Mm-hmm. Across the U.S., when you hear the word cap rate, it's a five cap, right? Just so on 5%, average. right? Yeah. What that translates to is saying that, let's say you were to buy a building for $100, right, cash. Okay. That means that you're going to bring in about $5 a year yeah. in income. So what I like to do is I like to look at you know the NOI, and say, okay, it's going to take me 20 years to get back my money, right? Yeah. So $5 times 20 gets you your $100 valuation. Right. So that's what I like to use in order to value a commercial asset. Because then you can kind of compare that. Okay, you know, something sold down the road and it was 20 times the income. Right. And someone comes to you with a, comes to you with a deal that's, 15 times income, meaning it's five years less if you were to use cash, Mm -hmm. you could, you know, you see that's a better deal. Right. Then talk to me a little bit when you say class there. I know, you know, we got class A, B, C, and D. I don't think there's any others. Maybe there are. No one (laughs) talks about it because no one wants them. (laughs) Uh, But there's this idea of, you know, classes of buildings, A, B, and C, D. There's a couple different ways you kind of, uh, different directions to rate um, opportunities by that, um, kind of looking at the NOI and stuff like that. And so the idea is, you know, a lot of times you can take a look at NOI, see what, it, and basically see, okay, can we improve that to so basically improve that valuation to a higher class, A being the highest. Can you talk to me a little bit, a little yeah. bit about that? Yeah. So if we take this Chevy Chase building, for example, mm-hmm. um, when we took over, you know, it was true, uh, you know, classy, classy minus, right? So it's like workforce, you know. Uh, it had 40% vacancy. That's a multi-use structure, right? That's right. So it's mixed use. So a little bit about, you know, background on the Chevy Chase building yeah. is it's five retail tenants and then there's 31 apartments in the back. Okay. And when we took over, there, there was the, you know, the retail was 100% occupied, right? When you're looking at commercial uh, and specifically uh, retail and triple net leases, triple net means that your tenants cover all your expenses, including taxes and insurance. Okay. Where you're able to create a steady base of income, very predictable, because usually the retail leases are a lot more uh, long-term, right? So they're sure. two, three, four, five years. Yeah. So you're able to project that out pretty consistently of what your income's going to be on the commercial side. Now, that provides a very 
good base of income. And when you look at the apartment side of it, that's where your value comes in. That's where your, your added value comes in. So when we took over, it was, you know, true class C, class C minus where it's like, you know, uh, a lot of it pays, a lot of it pay cash, um, 40% vacant. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of deferred maintenance. There's a lot of, uh, things the owner didn't, uh, you know, care for and you could, you can add value to it. Right. So when you're looking at a commercial deal, you know, can you go in and can you take a class C, class C minus building? But when you look at Chevy Chase as a whole, you can see that it's a, it's a class A neighborhood. Yeah. It's, it's very high income earning. Yeah. Um, there's very nice retail around it. There's a lot of, um, you know, uh, higher class people. Sure. Um, and can you take that low class, class C, class C minus, and can you bring it up to, uh, you know, be appealing to class B, class A yeah. people? Yeah. And, and with that, with each class, you're able to kind of jump Income or jump rental levels. Yeah. Right. So, like, let's say you start at zero dollars for a class D building, you can maybe get a hundred dollars for a class C, two hundred dollars for class B, three hundred dollars for class A. Yeah. Right. So, if we're taking a class C building and we are jumping up one class, a hundred dollars, right? Let's it, say I mean, it's almost a flipping mentality with a typical single family home yeah. in, in, the, in the short end of that. Aspect. Exactly. You're just looking at rent, rent rates, is kind of the key there, obviously. And this is like, this is where. I fell in love with commercial real estate yeah. and specifically multifamily. Let's say, for example, you have a hundred unit building mm-hmm. and you're able to increase those rents a hundred dollars. That's, that's right? big time right there. Right. So that's about 10 grand, right. Yeah. And an income a month. Yeah. You'd say over a year, that's 120 grand. Yeah. Now let's say we use the income multiple, right? Let's say you're in a market where your income multiple is 20. That's $2.4 million in value created. Yeah. And that's where <laughs> it's a whole nother level than, you know, obviously the single family stuff and so forth. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a little bit like, you know, so I know I've kind of talked a little bit, but we started kind of looking at the short term side a little bit for me and my business partner. And then we kind of fell into the, you know, we never even looked at the multifamily kind of uh, commercial, more commercial side of things and so forth, kind of stayed away with it. And then it really just kind of fell in our lap and it's amazing opportunity that we had for a couple duplexes that I've talked about. And it's kind of a similar thing. Like we're going to, I would say they're probably a B right now. I think we can take, well, you can kind of structure them by basic kind of, you know, the type of people who want to rent type of thing. So, I mean, we can take it to another notch, whether it's a C right now to a B or a B to an A. And then we already know other areas uh, or other places that have been um, improved in that same general area are already doing a hundred dollars more. Uh, poor door on rent type of thing. So it's it's very much one of those scenarios where we kind of saw, and I, I'll be honest, I'm not sure we uh, necessarily had every single piece of that worked out to know that you know, but I, we knew the potential was there, and it, it it was all validated as we were going through the process kind of a scenario. So probably not that, I'd, but it was kind of one of these options and deals where, especially in this market, you just you're like, okay, I know enough that this is at least a pretty decent deal. It might be a great deal type of thing, but at least it's a pretty decent deal. We, we got to at least start moving on it type of thing before maybe they necessarily know everything. Yeah. And that's, that's the hardest thing, especially when you're first starting out. Right. Uh, the real estate is such uh, the the real estate industry is there's so many unknowns to it and the education and, and, and barrier entry is, is so high because it, it is risky. Right. And, and if, if you don't know what's going to happen and, and no one really knows what's going to happen ever, uh, but being able to educate yourself and, and talking with other professionals yeah. and talking with people in the industry, you're able to kind of communicate, you know, is this a good deal? Because like you don't, I mean, 
I, I remember when I first started, like, I yeah. had no idea. Like, I think it is, right? It's like when during that period of nine months when we had, you know, multiple offers out and nothing get accepted, it's like, okay, what am I missing here, right? Like, yeah. am, I, like am I doing something wrong? Is sure. it, like, how, how are these valuations differing? And to your point, um, just having that kind of getting your feet well, just going with it, understanding, okay, I can increase the income. You know, I see buildings in the area that are getting higher rents. I see buildings in yeah. the area that are selling for higher. Let's let's do it. And then you get, and it sounds like, you know, with now number three, you're, you know, with like like that, you know, the the confidence is building, sure. and, you're, and you're getting to that, you know, uh, you know that next level. Yeah, that's definitely a story we'll tell here at some point. But uh, we, by the time this comes out, we'll have closed on three duplexes that are all next to each other uh, from two separate uh, owners, and we we. Uh, did a hard money lending on that. So I had to figure out hard money lending like on the fly and all this other stuff. So it's got, we're, we're going to talk a little bit more about that at some point, but uh, we should hopefully within a span of three days, close on the uh, three, two different uh, deals with the three duplexes total. So we're excited about it. I mean, we're jumping in. If you know me, like sometimes I just, uh, and my wife is like that. We just, I just kind of jump in all in type of thing. Sometimes can before I, I knew. <laughs> can I ask you a quick question? Yeah. So Landry, when was the, um, your first investment property? When was that? This will be the first one. Right. Yeah. So for those listening out here, you could see that. Well, when did you, okay, when did you get initially interested in real estate? Um, a couple of years ago, and it wasn't the right timing. I'd always wanted to do something. So three years ago, had the interest in real estate. Within three days, you're closing <laughs> on two duplexes, right. not one. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> I, I want to expand on that story at some point for sure, yeah. but I, kind of want, I don't want to, like, again, we... We're a few days prior to that when we're recording this podcast, so I don't want to have to come back and retract some of my uh, <laughs> statements just in case. But what are you, what are you getting at there? As we, yeah, as, we, as you could, you can just you know to pull that out. It just shows that you know a lot of it is the education up front, um, but it moves a lot faster. So like you know, if I were to relate it to to my story, it's like in the first nine months, right? It's it's a long time. Yeah. Um, but once you get that first deal under your belt, the confidence starts building. Yeah. Um, so it's you know that's that's the kind of biggest thing is you know it's and it's it definitely a key to attest to relationships too and having um, and that's maybe a different topic altogether as far as being uh, looking at different markets in different areas but yet you still need kind of local relationships a lot of times in that respect but it was definitely from those that we kind of were able to acquire uh, kind of get these different options and from some different scenario ways we acquired it type of thing but as obviously COVID changed a lot of things and I don't want to keep harping on that but. What has that kind of done with, I know probably more retail space is definitely kind of in flux a lot in some respects. Um, what about like kind of rent rates and stuff like that? What have you kind of seen in the Kentucky market in that respect? Yeah, Kentucky, Kentucky, as we spoke about earlier, is specifically Lexington, uh, is a very interesting market because you have the urban service boundary. Yeah. Um, it's almost like Lexington is an island. I call it the biggest small town in America because of its how it's landlocked. They routed the uh, the interstate around the city, you know, so it still gives you the, a little bit of that small town feel while still being kind of a big city. But as you figure it out, if you don't know them, somebody you know probably knows them, kind of thing in this town. Yep, and then there's and there was um, there was something I saw like two weeks ago where they talk about fifteen minute cities, um, where it's like okay, you can get from you know, one end to the other end in 15 minutes. And that is shown yeah. as a very well-developed city. It's, it's shown as a, okay. uh, and Lexington was in the top 10. 
Really? I've always heard the new circle concept was great in concept and theory, but that this it's shown as a way to not design cities anymore and kind of trapping people inside of the circle as far as traffic goes. But yeah, I don't, I don't in know. some respects. Yeah. yeah. I don't, it's, um, it's, yeah, I was, I was surprised when I saw it. Okay. I, I didn't think that Lexington would be part because it is, really? you know, it is okay. a, a, a smaller city, but it, you know, it's, it's up there competing with, you know, they have up there, you know, Boston, San Francisco, those types of cities. It was on a list with major cities. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And that's where I was like, wow, like, it was one of the smaller cities. I'm like, I didn't know that. Yeah. But I guess that's probably a to good your thing. point that it's kind of a secret uh, nationally in, in a lot of ways as far as what Lexington has. Right. Unless exactly. you're like an ESPN analyst that comes here for Kentucky Wildcat <laughs> type of uh, sporting <laughs> events a lot of right. times, or if you're in the horse industry and come to horse stuff all the time. But yeah. but the, you know, Lexington is such a unique economy, right? Because you have UK, right, which yeah. you have thirty, you know, thirty thirty five thousand students of a very you know highly educated uh, workforce that yeah. is, is at your disposable here in Kentucky. And you also have a very uh, strong tech presence that's starting to be built, uh, you know, over the course of the last really 24 or 12 to 24 months. And there's a lot of industries like you have Toyota up in mm-hmm. Georgetown. Um, you have the Toyota school of engineering that's coming to UK, which is going to bring a whole new plethora of, uh, of, you know, basically, uh, workers that are going to stay here in Kentucky, which yeah. is, which is a great thing for Lexington. And, you know, just in the last year, rents are up 8%. Okay. In Lexington. In as far as just anything commercial, or are we talking more strictly multi or multi-family? Strictly multifamily. Okay. Yep. So we're saying rental rates in the area, and over the last ten years, there there just isn't enough housing being built, and a big reason for that is because of the service boundary. There's nowhere to build, uh, you know, outside of the city. So what happens when you have an island and you can't build out? You have to build up. Yeah. And what that happens is a lot of these infill locations will start to see values uh, increase more rapidly um, because of that infill area. And it, and it really is going to induce a lot more walkability. Um, I hear a lot of stories of mm-hmm. you know, 20 years ago, people wouldn't want to go downtown. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like oh, 100%. So you've heard that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would definitely test that. You Growing up here, you didn't go downtown unless the Wildcats were playing at the Rep. Right, and, then, that, and that's totally changed. Oh yeah, you know you have the soccer, you have the soccer stadium coming in. You have the brand new, you know. Yeah, I hope that happens. That would be huge. Yeah, they um, that would be it'd be awesome. I know some people that are hoping, banking on, not banking on it, but definitely util, utilizing that knowledge to potentially, hopefully, uh, increase. You know, same thing, a class of different properties in you know downtown. It'll definitely raise everything for sure. It's yeah, it's interesting. The whole uh, the whole soccer stadium growth trend has been really interesting because yeah. you, you see that in, you know, many major cities now, like, you know, Cincinnati, it's, mm-hmm. it's taken over you know, a lot of areas in Cincinnati, um, have been totally revitalized. Louisville, same thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. When you look at like Nulu, right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when you're looking at a market and you see how other markets have you know, very similar, similar attractions that have just been built and you've seen what's happened in and around those attractions, you know, you can leverage that yeah. because what's going to happen is most likely, the same thing will happen for Lexington. Because uh, it's a growing right market for sure. It's not, oh, it's no, not receding. Yeah. That's it is. Means. Yeah. Um, I mean, as far as you're, you got you're you messed part. You're part of the one of the investors in that Joe Chase. You got any? Do you have any others that you're uh, owner or involved in at this point in time? No. So that's that's the one deal that I'm uh, I'm a part of. So okay. you know I um we're looking actively, you know, still, yeah. still here in Lexington and, yeah. and branching out. One thing when I first started was I, uh, I focused, you know, we were very broad in our focus, but now we're very focused in, 
and specifically, you know, Kentucky, Lexington, and, and branching out over to Cincinnati, Louisville. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we want to break into markets like Nashville, um, but it's still it's being patient because, um, as you know, the the valuations there are are um, are crazy. When you're looking at you know different classes of building, yeah, uh, the Class A stuff is trading for the same exact rate as you know Class B and C. Right, right. Yeah, just because of the demand right now. Right. So there's a lot. There's a lot of you know investors and in, in money out there. Yeah. Um, that is is chasing real estate, and you're seeing a 2020 build trading for the same income multiple mm-hmm. as a 1965 build with galvanized plumbing, <laughs> you know, and 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 a lot more deferred maintenance. Sure. And a lot more capital needs to be infused. So there's a there's a big. Uh, there's there's a lot of things happening right now in the market, and yeah. it's and it's it's careful to to, to stay patient and, and do what makes sense for you. Yeah, and it always play out for sure. I mean, the market market's always a market. I mean, you just study it ebbs and flows. You got to see where is it going, where is it moving. There's always opportunity, and it just changes sometimes where where that's moving or where that's going. Any um, interesting side hustles or things that you do on the side <laughs> that you're interested in? Yeah, I uh, so I'm a huge fan of poker. Okay. Um, I love the World Series poker. It's always been my dream to be able to play in, okay. in the main event. Okay. Um, I I haven't yet, but uh, one day I will. I think that would be um, that would be very fun to do to go to Vegas and, and be a part of the main event and, and play some poker. Yeah. It has a lot to do with I don't know. I feel like it's just the the risk to it, right? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's it's a lot of probabilities and math and, and yeah. Um, What's the buy-in for that? Ten grand. Okay, so it's not. I mean, it's still a large number, but it's not like I was as crazy. I was thinking maybe. nothing. Yeah, nothing crazy. But the you know the the winnings are you know yeah eight million. But it's all it's all you know at that point it's all luck, right? Because yeah. to, to be able to survive seven days playing <laughs> right. twelve hours a day, yeah, there's got to oh, be gosh. there's got to be a, a a god on your side in order to uh, in order right. to get there. What's one of your uh, favorite places uh, as far as food wise here so far? Food wise, you know, actually one of local places. I um. I, so, okay, so breakfast, so coffee, right? Okay, we're going through uh, all huge, three. Huge yeah. <laughs> I like this. Because I, I, it's one of those things where, like, I, I okay, do, yeah. yeah, the uh, Kenwick Table. Yeah, you I'm mentioned that fan. to me. I need yeah. to get down there. Yeah, it's it's a new place, and it's it's in the Kenwick neighborhood, and it's just a single-family home that's been, you know, uh, transformed into a coffee shop. Which, is, which attests to the, you have to go through the city to kind of reorder a uh, new um Rezone it. Yeah, rezone it mm-hmm. to be able to even do that. But it's in the middle of a neighborhood, which is an awesome concept. Yeah, it, it is. And it's a, it's, it's a great place. They have, little, they have some bourbon there, too, actually. Okay. Yeah, they have it's a little, <laughs> little bourbon bar next to it. They're like inside of it. <laughs> that's in every place here. Yeah, and then I like bourbon in Toulouse. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, yeah. I think that's a you know little hole in the wall. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a great place to go to, bourbon in Toulouse. I'm, I'm a huge yep. fan. And then the Manchester area is pretty cool. Uh, I know you we, we mentioned that before and talked about that. Yep, the, uh, yeah, over there. Uh, Goodfellas huge fan, of, huge fan of Goodfellas. Yeah. Oh yeah. I didn't. You know who who, who would have thought that? And that's a test to another one, like a, a building that was literally a dump. Like mm-hmm. no one was there. It, I remember taking like those <laughs> cheesy, like serious photos shoot type of things with you know uh, back in my music days of like you know college, thinking we were you know you're just like you know the, you look real serious in a band photo kind of thing. It's just like <laughs> this abandoned like building that's like falling apart and then someone's like no let's do something with this and uh see all that vision and that's really what it takes a lot of times uh, in changing some of the classes of these uh properties or so forth is seeing something potential the seeing the potential that's there that no one else has really seen mm-hmm. yeah taking imagination and that building um just recently sold uh to you oh, 
Yeah, U-Haul. oh, the big one. Yeah, yeah. U-Haul is going to buy that, and then others also. You know, as you, if you go down there, uh, you'll see there's a 125 unit yeah, hotel. hotel that's going to be Yep. So that's that's a uh, it's right next to the industrial park, which is right interesting location. Yeah. Right. Um, but you've seen it. I mean, every time that I go there, it's, it's packed. I'm just mad because I want. I'm a big fan of the Rheingeist. Have you been to Rheingeist in Cincinnati? I have not. The uh, the, the beer. The, yeah. Yeah. Very. You need to go because they have like this rooftop thing that overlooks the city bar up on the top part of it and everything like that. I'm like, someone needs to do that with that building. And I don't under, I don't know why someone's no one's thinking outside the box or maybe just there's some other barriers to why that's not happening. But I'm like, that would just be awesome. I mean, I have three kids, so I'm not going out a ton right now with little ones. Uh, but I'm like, that would still be cool. I would still try to get over there if they had a rooftop bar on top of that building or something like that. Oh, it'd be so cool. brewery. Oh, yeah. yeah I'd, I'd go there. Yeah. yeah. There you go. <laughs> Uh, what's one of your favorite things about Kentucky though, since moving here to wrap it up? Um, you know, there, there's so many good things that we've talked about, you know, already with, um, I mean, I, I love just the, the atmosphere, right? Just yeah. the people, the culture, um, California is very, you know, go, go, go. You know, there's just so many people. Uh, when I was in San Diego, it's very hard to, you know, be able to meet with someone and, you know, they kind of point you in a direction, but there's just so many people uh, like them. And there's so many movers and shakers in, in, in the city that it's kind of, you get kind of, you know, you're, you're one of, of many. Where yeah, I'm sure like you meet somebody, but it's hard for them. They're, here in this town, you like people just know other people where I'd at least know the person, even though I've met them where I'm sure in a much bigger city, you're like trying to piece things together in a lot more. Yeah. No, you're, you're, you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's, it's completely right. It's like when, when I first moved here and I would meet someone, they'd be able to, you know, within three people, they could tell me, you know, like a, a mate, like a, you know, a guy that's like, you know, yeah. doing stuff in the city, which is like, you don't get that anywhere. Yeah. Um, and everyone here has been super welcoming to me and I've been very, you know, uh, thankful for, for everyone to, you know, embrace a Californian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, I, apparently I, like I said, I think I read we're like one of the nicest rated states in the union, so I'll take it. Yeah, it's true. If anybody wants to get a hold of you, can I just talk more about commercial real estate, multifamily, and so forth? I mean, where can they reach you at? Yeah, yeah, I I, I love this business. I love to share any way that I can help. Um, just because I know that, you know, two years ago that I was, you know, I didn't know really where to go, right? Yeah. Uh, and I wanted to learn, um, but I'm happy to to share any experiences that I've had or, or to point you in a direction. Uh, that can benefit you um, and just kind of share from my experiences. And the best way to do that is just, you know, call me or text me. Mm-hmm. Uh, my phone number is 714-403-9465 um, or shoot me an email. Uh, and that's D as in Dylan Palmer, P-A-L-M-E-R at urbanrenewalpartners.com. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. We hope everyone has uh, joined us next week on the Keys of the Commonwealth podcast. Dylan, I appreciate your time today. And thanks for coming on the show. Landry, thank you very much. This is awesome. To learn more about this podcast, visit our page at keystothecommonwealth.com. To connect with Landry regarding insuring your investment portfolio, email Landry at novainsurancegroup.com or call 859-687-2004.